I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Next is now. Welcome back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and we've talked a lot uh, over the last year or so about uh, the child tax credit, what that is, what that means, uh, what works, and what doesn't. It's brought together some very interesting coalitions in the conversation. There was a fantastic article on the New York Times today why working class parents don't buy what DC is selling. Uh, the author of that guest essay, Patrick Brown, uh, he is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and he's been partnering with the Institute of Family Studies, a conservative think tank, to uh, help convene three different focus, focus groups of working parents uh, to discuss what this all means and, and what people are actually hearing and, and buying in on. Uh, Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. So, so give us just a little bit of the backstory in terms of uh, why this uh, study, why this partnership, and then let's dive into to what you learned. Sure. So obviously, as you mentioned, this year has seen unprecedented focus on the topic of family policy and how policymakers can better uh, support working class families and, and families that are just making ends meet. And what we thought is, uh, it, what are people hearing? Well, obviously, the conversation in D.C., tends to reflect the interests and preferences of the types of people who work in D.C., tend to work, uh, tend to have graduated from elite colleges, tend to be dual career uh, households, uh, maybe not even have kids themselves. And so we were curious whether working class families resonated with any of the policy proposals that are being put forth by the Biden administration and other actors on Capitol Hill. So we partnered with three organizations, uh, Braver Angels, uh, the Georgia Center for Opportunity, and the Texas Public Policy Foundation to host three focus groups of working-class parents, one in Ohio of white working-class parents, one outside of Atlanta with uh, working-class parents who are black, and then one in San Antonio with Hispanic working-class parents. And so we spent about two hours talking to each of them, hearing what they had to say, and listening to whether what's talked about in D.C. actually reflects what they're hoping that the government can help them with. Yeah, so let's dive into uh, to what you found out, because to me this is, uh, uh, again, we, we always think, oh, well, the smart people know what is best. Uh, but often they're not talking to the people who will be influenced the most. Uh, so tell us what you found. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest surprises to me was how much uh, rhetorical and, and risk, meaning, meaningful importance that, that the parents we talked to put on the aspect of work. Work, if you look at the, the transcripts of all of our three conversations that we held, it was the word that was mentioned most. And it was something that people really took pride in, being able to hold down a job, uh, to be providing for the families in that way. It doesn't mean they didn't have complaints about the long hours, 
uh, unpredictable schedules, sometimes not feeling like they weren't able to balance work and family life the way they wanted, and they, they wanted policymakers to, to address some of those concerns. But for the most part, they felt that government benefits should come to as a condition of people working and, and wanting to support people who are doing their best to make ends meet and just need a little extra help. Uh, and that was something that, that's not often heard in, in discussions, especially around the Biden American Families Plan, which talks about increasing the size of the child tax credit for all families, regardless of their work status. And I know, uh, you know one, one plan that I particularly uh, find appealing is the one that Senator Romney put out earlier this year, what he calls the Family Security Act, which was a version of this sort of child allowance plan that, that sort of reforms a lot of the tax code provisions. But even that, people felt, was a step too far. And, and a lot of the, not all the parents we talked to, but most of them felt that they wanted benefits to come to families who, are, who have some skin in the game, who, who, are, who are doing their best and just need a little assistance to help cover the cost of childcare, of diapers, of, of school books, of, of all the things that go along with having a family and, and looking for some help from D.C. to do that rather than a one-size-fits-all program like universal childcare or something to that effect. Yeah, and in in reading through your piece, the the thing that has uh, kept coming back to my mind, we were talking about this uh, in the newsroom before uh, we came on to this, uh, is that so often with government, uh, you often end up, uh, government often gives people exactly what they need to stay exactly where they are. There's sort of that trap in there in terms of uh, benefits that you receive that really doesn't create either a uh, a path up uh, or a glide path out of some of those government programs. Sometimes it's more like a cliff. Uh, tell me how that resonated. And did you see that in uh, some of these conversations uh, with these different focus groups? Oh, definitely. We talked to a one one mom in Georgia who, who talked about uh, earning, uh, getting a raise and earning $47 more than she had been, which made her lose her eligibility for uh, the nutrition assistance that she had been receiving. And she felt, what, what's the point of working harder if you're just going to get penalized by having your benefits taken away. We talked to another mom who um, is living with her partner and wants to get married, but knows that if she does, their tax rates are going to go up and, and their child support, his child support payments are going to be attributed to her and, and they'll have to raise as well. And so she said, it's not worth getting married because uh, it, it, it's going to be a net loss to them. And, and although they'd like to marry, they feel like the government would be punishing them for that. And so a lot of times when, when families are on those are, are sort of in those low income working class buckets the the benefits that, that they receive are are in fact as you as you mentioned sort of taxed away if they do better and so I think it makes sense for policymakers to be thinking about ways to be providing targeted aid to to families to to who as we say are are making ends meet and 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 sometimes that can be you know just straight cash is is a is a very uh, is a way that families can spend it on on what they need um, but also recognizing that that um, that some of these marriage benefits and 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 penalties and that sort of sorry marriage penalties and, and tax cliffs and that sort of thing are a real burden on on families who are just trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and that's such a, a thing. We've seen that out. Uh, we know some of the work from the Social Capital uh, Project there in Washington as well. Uh, and what you're laying out in, in these studies is sometimes we look at uh, at folks that are that are struggling or who are on some of those government programs. And in many cases, in many cases, it's not that they're being lazy. It's that they're being reasonable. Uh, there, there's no there's no logical single parent out there who, if they take an extra job, uh, if it if they end up spending all of that plus more plus lose benefits uh, that will help their child, no no parent is going to do that. Uh, and, and so I, I worry that uh, this idea of around work and, and again this 
some sort of glide path out and rewarding people rather than penalizing them. Because my worry is if they don't take that new job now uh, for fear of losing some benefits, uh, that's one thing for the short term. But in the long term, they're not going to get that raise six months from now. They're not going to have that new career opportunity a year from now. And so we're literally trapping people uh, in many of these programs. Yeah, that's exactly right. I I couldn't say it better myself. And and I would just say, since you mentioned the Social Capital Project, I I worked there uh, before my my previous job and and I'm very well attuned to the need for strong communities and and social capital to help increase opportunity. And that's something that uh, you guys in Utah know super well because you guys always rank at the top of those kind of measures. And and the strength of the community there can be a really powerful way to give people that boost and and to help them get connected to better opportunities. But, But unfortunately... Um, Utah's an outlier, and a lot of states don't have that robust social fabric that, that people uh, who are sort of just making us meet so desperately need. And so I think, you know, especially uh, people on my side of the aisle, conservatives, need to be thinking about ways that government can be catalyzing the institutions of civil society, like churches and nonprofit organizations, to help people build the skills they need, build the habits they need to 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 be able, not afraid to take that next, yeah, that raise and, and to move up in their careers. And then to the folks on the left, I'd say, let's talk seriously about the, the fact that people respond to incentives and that if you're going to penalize people for for getting married or for doing better at work or any of these things, uh, you, as you say, people recognize that the economic logic is at play and we should be working to make sure that we're encouraging the kind of things that we know lead to greater long-term success rather than being ambivalent to it and just thinking that a bigger check from Washington will take care of their problems. Yeah, fantastic. Patrick Brown, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, great piece in the New York Times today talking about the child tax credit, why working-class parents don't buy what D.C. is selling. We'll put that on our social media pages today. Uh, Patrick, great insight, uh, great perspective. Thanks for joining us today on Inside Sources. Always happy to. Thanks very much. My last question on this is when we're doing these things that are supposed to help those that are facing poverty or challenges individually or as families, why don't we bring them to the table and ask them what they really want and need? They want to work and they want a path upward and forward. we got to get to that conversation. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.